Good morning. Today, we are finishing, finally, our journey in John chapter 7. I think we've been here all summer. And, um, and what I call this section is it's like the third division, or round three, right? And putting Jesus in a box. You know, we started, if you remember way back, I had the chance to preach the beginning of chapter 7. We had Jesus' brothers and how they saw him, and then the crowds, and then the Jewish leaders. And now, our author, John, he recounts another layer of division. People are still trying to figure out who Jesus is. They, they're trying to construct a box for Jesus. So, as an introduction, you know, in my daily, I do Wordle, but then as the overachiever in me, I do a seven and eight letter Wordle, okay? And after two tries in this game, they actually give you a, a hint. But, of course, you have to watch an ad, right? So, uh, for a whole week, I'm watching this ad, and I don't put the sound on, you know. I just let go in the 30 seconds and let it go. Well, I watched this ad with no sound, and I got one perspective, and then I watched it with sound, and my view totally changed. So here's the ad. It was for L.L. Bean, their kid fat pat, right? Without sound, this is what I saw. I saw a little girl trashing her backpack, throwing it in the floor locker, you know, tossing it off her desk, right? Throwing it down the stairs, coming down, actually stomping on it, okay? And the ads end with her dragging it up the front walk, you know? And the last scene is she throws it out the window from a bedroom window, right? All right, so here's what I saw. Without sound, I saw this foil brat of a little girl, right, throwing temper tantrums, right, abusing a brand new backpack, right, that her parents had given her. Wow, was I wrong. So one day, I decided, okay, maybe I should listen to this ad, you know? And the ad, is actually a depiction of an actual letter an eight-and-a-half-year-old girl wrote to L.L. Bean. Here's the letter. Dear L.L. Bean, I've had my backpack since I've been five years old. Now I'm eight-and-a-half. My mom and dad will only let me get a new one if it wears out. How do I wear it out? Will you please tell me? You see, my perspective on that little girl just suddenly changed. She wasn't spoiled brat. She was just trying to wear out her backpacks that she's had for three and a half years. And she couldn't get it done, right? I had put her in a box, right? A totally wrong box at that. And today, we're going to see people that are trying to put Jesus in a box, right? Watching the L.L. Bean commercial ad without sound. They were trying to put him in, 
Jesus in a box of their own making, and they're just as wrong as I was. So here's our main theme. Be careful what kind of box you put Jesus in. Be careful what kind of box you put Jesus in. It will be the box you live in. All right? So here's the context. Just to remind us. Jesus is still in Jerusalem. But now the Feast of Tabernacles has ended. Pastor Matthew did a great job last week of preaching on Jesus' provocative declaration at the end of the feast. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit who was to come. What an exclamation point. An exclamation point defining who Jesus is. Now, you wouldn't have thought that would be the final word on the matter, right? But then what happens? The crowd and the leaders are not done with Jesus yet. And today, we're going to see this third round of the vision. And that I hope that as I preach, I set up Pastor Jeremy for next week, for the shocking I am. And no further words here today, okay? My outline today is very simple. Just three questions, right? Is Jesus the prophet? Is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus a Galilean? So we're going to walk through this passage just like that. So you have, you have your Bible. Um, if you have this one, turn to page 46. And we're going to jump right in. The first question, is Jesus the prophet? When they heard these words, verse 40, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Now the first thing you have to note is the presence of the definite article. Now, if you're like me and you're trying to forget your eighth grade grammar, okay, the the in front of the prophet is pretty significant. This group is not saying he is a prophet, like the woman at the well in John 4, like you are a prophet, or as we see in a few weeks, the blind man who says, I, I think Jesus is a prophet. No, no. There's something significant about the the. In Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18, you don't have to turn there if you don't want. Um, Moses writes about a prophet who is actually the prophet, right? Let me just read that. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Then I'm just going to drop down to, eight, to verse uh, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers, and I will put my, mouth, my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. So here is the prophet like Moses, not just a giver 
of the law, but the one who will fulfill the law and the prophets. The verse 40 people, I'll call them, see Jesus as the prophet fulfilling Deuteronomy 18. Now, people of Jesus' day did not see the prophet and the Messiah as necessarily the same person, but two distinct people. They also didn't see a prophet that would be suffering as a suffering one. They simply did not have a category for prophet and Messiah together who would die, and certainly not one who would die on a Roman cross. They didn't even have that category. The prophet people had a pretty small box. Wait a minute. Oh, I got a little box here. So they had a little box, right? They were going to try and fit Jesus in. They were to listen to him, but on the surface, he didn't really inquire much of him, much of them. So now we enter then the second question, verse 41, we see, others said, this is the Christ. Now, this is just a little bigger, bigger box. Now, we'll get to the birthplace in a minute, but people may have been thinking of the servant Messiah of Isaiah 61, which actually Jesus read at the temple, at the synagogue. I'll just read a little bit from there. The spirit of God, of the Lord God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is a comforting Messiah for when you think about people under the thumb of the Romans for 99 years. Good news to the poor, right? Good news to the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty, freedom to a captive people and those in prison, perhaps like the zealots of those days. Today, this might look like a social reformer messiah, right? Bringing the long-awaited peace on earth and goodwill to men. Now, did these people actually understand what they were saying when they said, this is the Christ? Were they thinking of the promised Messiah who would save his people from sin and bring an age of peace and prosperity? Probably not. Their small thoughts is like, more like a gospel prosperity Messiah. So I bet when Jesus said things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's why they bristled, right? And then Jesus would make demands on them, right? He would say, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Denial? Hmm. Take up a cross, a Roman cross? Uh, we're not sure we like that kind of Christ. So then the discussion turns, as often does, 
to where the Messiah will come from. At this point, I will focus just on the first, and then we'll save the Galilee question for later. Look at verse 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. The people might be confused about Jesus, who he is, but they are not as ignorant of the scripture as their leaders want to portray them. They knew Micah 5 too, a verse that we often quote at Christmas time. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one from you shall come forth for me, one who is ruler, is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now you have to remember, Matthew and Luke chapter 1, those chapters have not been written yet, right? So the people, they don't know anything about Mary and Joseph, the angel Gabriel, or the trip to Bethlehem. But if one commentator writes, this group pulls together several scriptures to connect that the Messiah will be the offspring of David. And they knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem. But we see some of John's, the author John's irony here. Though they knew the prediction about the Messiah, they had not taken the time to figure out the facts about Jesus. Their, their box might be a little bigger than the prophet folks, but not much. Now remember, be careful what kind of box you put Jesus in. That's the box you're going to live in. So we come to the final question here. Is Jesus a Galilean? Verses 45 to 52. Now you may recall earlier, in verse 32, the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him, Jesus. Now, these officers were actually Levites who are, like, in charge of security. They would be wearing the, the bright yellow shirts at the football games or recently in the 3M tournament, right? They're security. Some Levites were in charge of the furnishings, supplies. These Levites, they were part of the bigger guys, right? They were there to keep order, especially during the feast. The, now look at verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? Now, why it took two or three days for, for these guys to report back? I don't know. The temple's not that big. But it's obvious they were listening to Jesus' teaching. These men the Levites were highly trained in the scriptures. Not that they were not the backward folk of the crowd. Look at their response. The officers answered in verse 46. No one ever spoke like this man. They noticed 
that Jesus was a different kind of teacher, not just your run-of-the-mill rabbi. But look at how sad how the leaders respond to their own team, right? Verse 47, the Pharisees answered them, have you read this? also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. The Pharisees become abrasive, harsh. Their contempt for the average people becomes obvious, calling them a curse, like anathema in later Greek, right? At this point, Nicodemus and Joseph and Arimathea, who are also part of the ruling council, they're still like the secret disciples, right? But Nicodemus speaks up, right? Not necessarily for Jesus, but by pointing out a familiar point of procedural order. In verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? That's a fair question, right? Robert's rule of order, hey, we, we do things in an orderly fashion. But look what happens. The leaders now abuse Nicodemus, which often happens, right, when they get pushed back. They're not getting their way. And they take it out on the nearest person, right? They reply in verse 52, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. You know what? There's another irony here. You know where Nicodemus is probably from? Galilee. He owned land, according to Josephus, the historian, historian from the Jewish um, so Kula has knew, by the way, if they were, the leaders would have thought, they knew that Nahum and Jonah came from Galilee, and probably Elijah, too. But, you know, they're so angry, they just flee the hyperbole. So the question remains, this is our third point, is Jesus a Galilean? This is, this is an important aspect about a prophecy about the Christ. The scepter was to be from the tribe of Judah, right? And Genesis 49.10, Psalm 67, 60 and verse 7, just to name a few. So the people and readers were not wrong about Micah 5.2. But where does Galilee come in. See, we knew that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, right? The hometown of Mary and Joseph. Nazareth was in Galilee. And where the angel Gabriel visited Mary, you know, to proclaim she would be the mother of the Christ, the Messiah. They traveled to Bethlehem. I'm not telling you anything new. Fulfilling Micah 5.2. Jesus set up shop, like his ministry hub, like he was also uh, working from home, right? So he set up shop in uh, uh, Capernaum, in, in Galilee, and he chose his first 
disciples from actually from the Sea of Galilee, right? But aren't the leaders correct in thinking that the king must be from Judah? But there is more. Now turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 9, right? Every Christmas we turn to Isaiah 9 and we read, but this time we're going to start in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Out of nowhere, the only time in Isaiah, he mentions the tribe of Zebulun and Naphtali. Galilee of the Gentiles. This is where Nazareth and Capernaum are located. So what does Isaiah go on to say about the people of this area? The people walked in the people who walked in darkness. Walking in darkness. But wait, it's more have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This spiritually dark place with lots of Gentiles in it, they will see a great light. How will this be in this out-of-the-way place? And now we can glance down and look at verses 6 and 7. Right? For even the most, I think you can say this by memory, right? For unto us a child is born, you know, think about Linus, right? Linus in the Christian story. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a magnificent prophecy about the Messiah, about the Christ, about Jesus. Note that Christ will sit on the throne of David, being in the line of David, yet he comes out of Galilee. Wonderful counselor, never-ending kingdom. Can anything good come out of Galilee? Yes. How? The zeal of the Lord will do this. The Pharisees replied, Are you from Galilee? Too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Don't you see? A prophet does arrive from, arrive from Galilee. But more than a prophet, the very promised Messiah. Who is this Jesus? 
He is the Messiah born in Bethlehem, the one who offers living water to those that are thirsty and the bread of life to those that are hunger. And we'll see next week. Jesus is the fulfillment of not only Isaiah 6, 9, 57, but he is the fulfillment of verses 1 and 2. So be careful what kind of thoughts you put Jesus in. It will be the one you live in. So here, I haven't had much application today, so here's our application. What kind of thoughts do you put Jesus in? What kind of thoughts do you put Jesus in? Now, John Calvin, one of my favorite reformers in his institutes, builds on a concept Finitum non compas infinitum, meaning the finite cannot grasp the infinite. God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are so big, they utterly transcend human thought. Or, setting our theme, can't fit in the box. Remember what we just read? I'm sorry, I, Matthew, I, I ripped your page. Our Father, forgive us for thinking small thoughts of you and for ignoring your immensity and greatness. So, what kind of thoughts do you have? Well, we have, the people have a small thought. This is the people that have a nice and small and compact Jesus, right? He can fit in the box. He's my savior. I know I'm going to heaven. I don't have, I don't have enough room in my box to go to church every week, but maybe I can go on Christmas and Easter, right? There's, there's not much room for deep commitment for me, but, you know, I, I like Jesus. Okay, great. Well, wait, wait a minute. We have another box, okay? Now, this is the bigger box, right? But you'll see right away that it doesn't have a bottom, okay? So this is a box with no bottom, right? Jesus is good, and he gives me good things. But he doesn't give me everything I need to live a fulfilled life. He never fills my box, right? There's a hole in it. It's just the opposite of the small box because it doesn't contain anything. Jesus is whatever I need him to be at that particular point in my life. But it all slips through. It, doesn't, it really doesn't fit. So that's one thought. Right. We have one more box. Well, maybe two. Right? This is a horizontal box. Right? This is, I, I believe in Jesus, but my faith is kind of shallow. Right? I, I, I don't really have a, a deep understanding of how Jesus can really dig down in my heart, right? But this, this faith kind of stays on the surface. However, if you turn the box a little bit, you get my box, okay? This, unless you don't think I have a box, here it is. This is a box for all of us that think they have their theological thoughts in a row, okay? In this case, they're all stacked up nice and neat on top of each other, 
it's nice to come back. If God starts to do something different in the scriptures, it's really hard for me to fit that in my thoughts. So what is the problem with all these boxes, right? Well, it's the same problem that the crowd, the Levite officers, and the Pharisees had. Jesus can't fit in a box. Who is this Jesus, right? Who is this Jesus? Already in John. Let's, let's take a little come and see. Right? Jesus was the Word in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him. The Word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. He is the Lamb of God who takes the sin away, sin of the world away. Jesus is the new wine. He is a new temple, the Son of Man to be lifted up and believed in, for eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. He is the one who gives water to those that are thirsty. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who walks on water. He is the bread of life. He is, has the words of eternal life. And he is the giver with the Father of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus. He is the one who took upon himself the sins of the people on the cross. He rose from the dead on the third day to defeat sin, death, hell, and the devil. He cannot be controlled. He cannot be contained or confined. He is bigger than any of the boxes. And he loves us with an everlasting love. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Throw away your boxes. Okay? Get rid of them. Don't exchange your box for a different one. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ fill, not your box, but fill you. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. When we ask you that you would just fill us with your love, with the knowledge of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Lord, we, we confess that we have thought too small of you, that we try and put you in a box that was never made for you. So Lord, help us now, even as we go to the supper, the Lord's table, to think big, thoughts about you. And we'll give you praise. We'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.